Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! This is a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. Hello and welcome to the Fun Kids Book Club podcast. My name is Bex and I have got a little roundup, a retrospective, a review, if you will, of the last year on the podcast. We've spoken to, I think, nearly every author from 2020 who had a book out and we cherry picked the best ones for this podcast. First up, this is what happened when I spoke to the QI Elves. So I am joined right now down the line by Dan Schreiber and Anne Miller, who are QI Elves and have helped put together an amazing book called Funny You Should Ask. Uh, Hey guys, how you doing? Hello. Hello. Now, oh my goodness, this book has just, it's taken over my life, I won't lie to you, because... um, (laughs) It poses a question and then you answer it. And then in my head, I'm asking more and more questions. And it's just, I've gone down so many rabbit holes. Uh, So Anne, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah, so we do a segment on the Zoe Ball Breakfast Show where listeners send us in their questions. And they what's really nice about it is people always tell us a bit about the question. So it could be somebody's toddler has posed a question that they never thought of and didn't know how to answer. Or you get people you know who are much older who say, I've been wondering this every day and I've never known the answer. So what's really fun for us is it's a complete mystery. We don't know what we're going to get um, until that week. And we can be researching things about um, why is it red? Why is it always red for stop and green for go on a traffic? light um why did dads make such bad jokes or how much water would you need to put out the sun so we had a lot of fun researching the answers to these and dan do you ever get a question and you're like oh my goodness i have no idea how do i even tackle this one yeah absolutely because there are so many questions that don't have answers that have been lost through the annals of time you know they are questions about where does this certain word come from or this certain phrase um, and we have no idea but what's interesting is to trace the history of how it got to where it got so you don't end up with no answer you end up with actually sometimes a far more interesting answer than just saying oh it was because of this very basic thing you tell a whole story Man, I, I, I do, I've got to say, I love facts so much. Um, and what is your favourite fact that you found out in the book? Oh, I think it probably is that the Hawaiian pizza wasn't invented in Hawaii. So I love <laughs> pineapple on a pizza. I know not everyone does. I think it's great. Um, but it was invented by a Greek man who lived in Canada. And he put pineapple on his pizza because he thought mixing sort of sweet and savoury is often quite nice. And Hawaiian was the brand of pineapple he used. So that's why it has that name. And I love that because <laughs> I've been eating Hawaiian pizza for years and I never knew. Uh, Dan, how about you? What was your favourite bit in the book? Uh, the most surprising one for me is if you go to certain hotels, you can ask reception for a pillow menu. A lot of hotels have a pillow menu and they can send it up to you and you can pick a different pillow to sleep on at night. I had no idea. Do you, do you have a, a certain fact that you always kind of rock out that people are impressed by? Oh, my! well, I really love puffins. I think they are the most adorable birds. And I really love the fact that baby puffins are called pufflings because it's just the cutest word I've ever heard. That is great. How about you, Dan? Um, let me get back to you. I'm going to give you two or three. 
as we go on in the interview. I'm just going to chuck them in at random. Please do. I because I found the reason I ask is because I found out it would take I think 40 billion Lego bricks to get to the moon. Oh, one fact that I do love about Lego is that, and we have this in the book, is that Lego is more painful to stand on than say hot coals or nails. People who do that for a living say, I will happily walk across hot coals and nails, but not on Lego. Lego is the most painful thing that you can trod on. How many elves are there for QI? Because you all seem to work incredibly hard. Uh, How many are there behind the scenes? So there's about a dozen um, who work in the office. Obviously, at the moment, we're all working um, from our living rooms. But there's different, we also have different specialties. So some of us um, make a podcast, some of us make radio shows, some of us work on the TV show. But what unites all of us is we're all really curious. So if you came into our office, you'd probably hear somebody being like, like, guys, you will never <laughs> guess what I've just read about raccoons. And then we'll be like, what have you read about raccoons? And it's just so exciting to find out new things. And every time you ask a question, your brain sort of sprouts several more. So there's one in the book that I love, which is, um, my, it's just, I don't love this question so much, which is, if spiders can walk on the ceiling, why can't they get out of the bath? And now when you think about that, you're like, yeah, they're really good climbers. So why do they always get stuck? And it's because they have really hairy legs and each hair on their leg has even more, like hundreds of thousands of even tinier hairs. And all these hairs combined give them some basically force they can stick onto things. And whereas uh, ceilings and walls are quite bumpy, it's kind of like a climbing wall. You've got something to grip onto, but a bath is so shiny and sleek. There's nothing, those hairs are just struggling to get anything at all. But the reason that often if you look in the bath, it's quite a big spider, they need more force to like help them pull themselves out. So whereas little ones can maybe sort of just about manage the big tubby ones, they can't get out and they've got to wait till someone comes and rescues them. That's incredible. I love the idea of a tubby spider as well. That is (laughs) such a lovely phrase. Bex, I've thought of a fact that I really oh, like. Go for it. Yes, please. If you're outside, uh, just for coronavirus purposes, don't touch your face. Um, do this indoors after you've cleaned your hands. Um, you wonder, why do we have two nostrils rather than just one nostril? You know, If it's doing mm. the same job, why do we have two? But actually, they're both doing different jobs at different points during the day. So everyone who's listening to this now, you can test this out. Basically, you have one nostril that's doing all the work, most of the breathing work, while the other one is resting and a bit congested. So if you put your thumb over one of your nostrils and you start breathing so have a just breathe in and and feel how the air is coming in and then Mm -hmm. swap over swap your thumb over to your other nostril and breathe in and you might notice that one of them has more of a quick flow than the other of taking air in and that's your that's your dominant nostril for this bit of the day (laughs) and what will happen is try this again in a few hours maybe three hours or so uh, do the nostril test again. You'll notice it's the other, the other nostril. Uh-huh. It's fascinating. And it's, that's really useful for smells because a lot of smells, when we're, when we're smelling things, take a while to properly analyze the smell. So the, the sort of, let's say, lazier nostril will really analyze the smell because it gets caught up in all the congestion and can really break down what's going on smell-wise there, whereas the other one is just really quick and so it can tell you immediately what a smell is. So it's really useful. That's why we have two nostrils. That was fun, wasn't it? I love the QI elves. That was an amazing interview. I also spoke to some newer authors this year. This was my chat with Elle McNichol about her book, A Kind of Spark. Oh, I'm thrilled to to have you here because um, I've been reading your new book, A Kind of Spark, and it is uh, wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about your main character, Addie? 
So Addie is an 11-year-old autistic girl and she lives in a tiny, tiny village in Scotland, just outside of Edinburgh. And she lives with her two older sisters, Kidi, who is also autistic like her, and Nina, who is not autistic, but who is a beauty blogger and who is very concerned about being cool and sticking to the rules. And she discovers at school one day that her village hundreds of years ago was responsible for executing a lot of women for the crime of witchcraft, which of course was a false charge and and not real. And she's fascinated by that and infuriated by it. And she decides to start her own campaign to make a memorial in honour of the, the witches. And of course, this is all going on while, you know, Addie's still at school dealing with kind of normal friendship issues that we all go through. Uh, She's got her ex-best friend who's found a new best friend. Somebody new joins the school as well. uh, And it's about making friends with Audrey. That's pretty important in her life too, right? Definitely very important. I think that's such a difficult time at school when your friends suddenly aren't your friends anymore and you don't exactly know why. And Addie, of course, uh, being autistic on top of everything, she can't quite understand why her best friend has suddenly got a new best friend. And yes, Audrey is a, a brand new girl from London who is a little bit unsure of the village because it's so different to her her hometown. And she and Addie become fast friends because of their, their being outliers. Yeah, I love their friendship so much. I love Audrey like genuinely being interested in Addie and kind of just develop a trust I think. Yeah definitely I think um, Addie's a very very good character I don't think I've ever written anyone as good as she is and she's very kind and very generous and and that gets her um, pushed aside sadly by a lot of other people her age but Audrey really sort of sees something in her and understands that that compassion is actually a real strength. Hmm. And also just um, Addie's relationship with her big sister, Kidi, because she's kind of the only person who really understands her, I guess, uh, because they obviously both have autism. They've both gone through that together. Yeah, exactly right. Um, A lot of books that um, have autistic characters in them, I feel uh, as a neurodivergent person, there's usually only one. And I just thought, you know, that's not always the norm. Families tend to have lots of people who are neurodivergent in them. So I'm going to have an older sibling who's autistic. um, And she's really a mentor to Addie. And she really understands on a deep personal level everything that she's going through and their relationship is is definitely the heart of the book they're very very close but um of course the plot of the book without giving anything away there's there's something um upsetting Kitty and bothering her and Addie's desperate to figure out what it is also, um, I th- Juniper is, is a real place. Am I right in saying that? The village? It, it is a real place. It's not called Juniper. It's called Juniper Green. I just outed yes. myself. All my, my friends and family from back home are going to be looking fast, speeding through the book, trying to find out if they're in it. But um, yeah, it is It is based on a very real place. It's a historic mill village in, in, in the outskirts of Edinburgh. No, I think I know of it. Um, because yeah. I... I because when, when I read the book I was like that seems really familiar so I, I, I spent a lot of time in Edinburgh itself and I know um the Dalmahoy area nearby oh yes okay yep so yep. yeah um so I was like this sounds very familiar but I had no idea it had all of this history to it and all of the um the witchcraft trials is fascinating to learn about as well it's so fascinating and of course it was all all around Edinburgh there were um which problems with witchcraft um and um and just very strange scotland really had had a, they thought a ton of witches and um 
more than anywhere else in the UK. And I just, I find that really interesting. And I very much like, there's a scene in the book where Addy is first learning about the witches in, a, in class. And um, that was very much my experience as a, as a 10 year old. Just, I couldn't believe I lived in a part of the world that was so utterly, you know, it was mad what they did. And, and, and it was such a fascinating um, part of history because so much of history you learned, we learned in Scotland was about London and, and Europe and just all, all these faraway places. And then to find out that your own front door, there was this horrific um, yeah. part of history. Uh, yeah. And it's something that I didn't learn about at school. So um, I felt like your book it gave me a lot of stuff because the witchcraft stuff I didn't know about. And, and also like, you know, learning more about autism as well is a really useful thing, I think, for kids and grown-ups. There was also Serena Patel. She dropped by the Fun Kids Book Club podcast to tell me all about her brand new book as well. Am I right in thinking this is your first book? It is, yes. That is super exciting. It is so exciting. Uh, So this is Anisha Accidental Detective. Yes. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about it? So Anisha is 10 and she loves science, she loves books and she loves the quiet and just sitting in a corner in her chair with her book and being left alone. Unfortunately, Anisha belongs to a rather large and chaotic family who are always getting themselves into trouble. And as much as she would like to ignore them, quite often she Mm -hmm. can't and has to take charge of the situation, which is what happens when Auntie Bindi, who is her her auntie, is getting married. And Auntie Bindi is quite dramatic and would like the wedding to be the wedding of the year. And the day before the wedding, Anisha discovers a note has been pushed through the door, which says that Uncle Tony, the groom, has been kidnapped And he won't be returned unless the wedding is cancelled. So Anisha takes one look back into the house and thinks, shall I tell the grown-ups? But Auntie Bindi's having a meltdown because she's got a big spot on her nose (laughs) and the flowers are wrong and everything's wrong. And she thinks, I'm only going to make it worse if I tell her. So actually what I'll do, I'll go down the road and find my best friend Milo and we'll try and suss it out together, which is what they try to do. So yeah, her and Milo go on a bit of a mission. They do. To try and figure out who has sent this ransom note because it's all cut out of, you know, it's a classic ransom note, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It's amazing. So um, the two of them get up to a bit of an adventure. They do. So quite a few members of the family are behaving quite suspiciously. And so they head off to kind of investigate and see where Uncle Tony could possibly be. I've got to say, so in it, Anisha is also a bridesmaid as well. She is, which she really doesn't want to be. I know that feeling entirely, (laughs) that feeling of like, oh, the puffy dress and you don't know what you're going to wear and what what things you have to go and do. So I did appreciate her pain in that respect. (laughs) Absolutely got that one. And also, when you're from like busy, chaotic families, weddings, I imagine, are just the worst time of year. Yes, yeah. She just, she really doesn't like anything like that anyway. And just the thought of being the centre of attention as bridesmaid is just horrific to Anisha. So she would really rather avoid it. Uh, One thing I really loved about the books is you put little footnotes in. Yes. So when words are like not obvious or when it's nice to explain something, uh, how did that come about? So that was something that came through the editorial process, actually. So there were a few things that and we didn't really want to over explain. Um, but we felt there were things that might need a slight explanation and Uh the footnote was quite a nice way to do that. So that, yeah, as I say, that was through the editorial process. It's a really, really fun way of kind of explaining something and not making it like really boring, but just being like really fun about it as well. There is also a quiz at the back. Yes. Uh, Have you done the quiz? No, so that was, uh, again, part of the editorial um, team's kind of input into the book and, and just to make it 
fun really and for there to be some extra things to do yeah i've done the quiz i'm milo <laughs> are you yeah, yeah. wow I, 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 that's brilliant I had a lovely time but i love a quiz i'm all in straight away i did that quiz immediately uh so i guess because uh this book is very fun and has got a lot of let's say legs you're gonna you've written a second one is that right yes so is this going to be a long-running series? I'm hoping so. So at the moment, there is a second and a third book in progress. So the second one's been written and is currently being illustrated by Emma. And the third one, I'm in the middle of writing the very first draft of it. So <gasps> The third one? Yes. Wow. It's like a machine. Do you have any shit in your head with you all of the time at the moment? She pretty much is at the moment, yeah. <laughs> and is there one of the characters apart from... These two guys here, apart from Anisha and Milo, who is your favourite to write? Granny Jazz. Yeah? Definitely. Is she inspired by anybody from your family? I think she's probably inspired by a couple of people. Um, so my own grandmother, you know, up until recently, actually, and she's going to be 85 this year, would always wear a sari pleated to perfection. Right. And the long plait. Um, and it's only recently she's moved into wearing trousers because it's just getting too much for her, bless her. The upkeep. Yes. Um, and my mother-in-law, uh, who's sadly no longer with us, was quite a feisty, kind of larger-than-life character. And I think she's probably crept in there a little bit as well. So so using all aspects of your life yes. in the book. Yeah, definitely. If you love Doctor Who, you're going to love what's about to happen. Dave Rudden chatted to me in October about his brand new winter-themed Doctor Who book. And this is a little reading from it. Yeah, so I think you can tell I'm a fan of Matilda when you when you meet the main character of this story. So this is a short reading from Christmas with the Plasmavores. It is a French name, said Henry Plasmavore, and smiled so widely you could see every tooth in his head. Very common. Very normal, added Madeline Plasmavore. She was smiling too, but she had no teeth at all. Very human and normal. They filled the doorway of the Sullivan home like jelly in a mould. A pair of squat, fleshy rectangles in identical black button-up coats. Henry had a red scarf crimping the dead white skin of his neck. A beret had deflated on Madeline's scalp. Other than that, it was surprisingly difficult to tell them apart. Catherine disliked them on sight. This was not an uncommon reaction for Catherine. It wasn't that she had anything against people, on principle, but she had simply decided six months ago that she had met enough of them and didn't need to meet any more. There was a quota. She had reached it. Her father had tried to explain to her that there wasn't a quota, actually, and even if there was, she couldn't have reached it because she was nine. This was just one of the many things on which Catherine and her father did not see eye to eye. And your car broke down. Morris Sullivan was small for a dad. He dressed in oversized cardigans even in summer and his receding hair stuck up in tufts as if waving for help. Morris needed help with a lot of things. He had to be reminded to take his anxiety medicine. He sometimes worked so hard he forgot to eat and Catherine had to remind him to do that too. The only reason there was a stubby little Christmas tree in the corner was because Catherine had reminded Morris it was Christmas and she wished she'd had the presence of mind to also remind him that you didn't open the door to strange people at midnight on Christmas Eve. But now he had and the plasmavores loomed over them both like the twin halves of a Venus flytrap about to snap shut. 
And finally, we thought we would round off the Book Club podcast best of the year with Simon Farnaby. Now, he had a very fun book out this year called The Wizard in My Shed, and this is a reading from it. Um, so this is when, I think it was said, Rose and Murden meet in the wood, and then um, Rose takes Murden... They have this deal, you know, to help each other out, and, and Rose takes Murden back to her house, and she, she persuades her mum to let Murden stay in the house. By, by saying that he's their Uncle Martin because <laughs> he looks a bit similar to their Uncle Martin and Rose's mum falls for it. and um, So Murden is in the kitchen eating fish and chips and this is where the, the bit starts. Ten minutes later, they were all eating fish and chips in the kitchen. It turned out that Murden the Wild really loved fish and chips. Rose watched him eat with a mixture of wonder and disgust. He had no regard for whether bits of food went into his mouth or onto the floor. He just grabbed handfuls of fried potato, batter and cod and flung them in the general direction of his face and hoped for the best. Ah, tis good belly timber this, Murdin spat, smattering the table with chips and scraps as he spoke. Thou must think me a terrible ragabrash. Ragabrash is an old word for a very messy person. But I have not eaten in a long time literally centuries if you think about it and these fish and ships are a delight the warlock stuffed the last of the battered fish into his mouth by now his robes looked like the floor of a fish and chip festival after everyone had gone home um perhaps you'd like to clean yourself up offered rose's mum the bathroom's at the top of the stairs aye thank ye said murdin and shuffled off upstairs murdin found the bathroom or at least he thought he had there was a bath-shaped object there, for sure, but no water pump. He tried to lever the taps. Then he hit them with his fists, pulled them, pressed them, nothing. Now do remember, he's from 511 AD. Screw taps wouldn't be invented for another 1,200 years. He grabbed a shower head and tried that too. Again, nothing. Aha! he exclaimed finally. For in the corner of the bathroom he'd spotted a little bowl with a small pool of water in it. Now, we would recognise this object as a toilet, but in Murdin's time, toilet activities were done outside in a hole in the ground. It would be unthinkable to do your number ones and twos in your own home. So, to Murdin, this little bowl of water looked just like the sort of place you could easily wash your hands and face, and perhaps slake your thirst too with a nice cool drink. At this exact moment, Rose's brother Chris returned from his ship at from his shift at Top Boy in the shopping centre. I'm back, he shouted as he came in through the front door. He received no reply. As Rose and her mum were deep in conversation in the kitchen, he headed upstairs to his room. He skipped up the short flight of stairs as usual, but as he passed the bathroom he heard a strange sound. He leaned his ear against the door. Someone, a man, was humming to himself in there. A man? That's odd, he thought. Finding the door ajar, Chris felt within his right to push it a little. It swung open, and so did Chris's mouth, for there, before his very eyes, was a scruffy, bearded pirate with dirty clothes, kneeling down and splashing his face and hair with water from the toilet bowl. Not only that, but the man was cupping the water in his hands and drinking it too. Now, do not be alarmed. The thought of washing our precious faces in the toilet obviously appalls us, but hygiene in the Dark Ages was so terrible that this may well have been the cleanest water Murdin had ever tasted. 
Meanwhile, Rose and her mum were having an argument now in the kitchen. They barely noticed Chris enter the room, the colour completely drained from his pretty face. "'You all right, sweetheart?' asked Susie, when she finally noticed him. "'Um, yeah, I think so,' said Chris. "'Just wondering why there's a tramp in the bathroom drinking from the toilet bowl?' No sooner had he said this than Murdin entered the kitchen, looking very refreshed. Ha! Say what thou liketh about purgatory. The water is as fresh as a morning dew, he said cheerfully. Oh, Chris, uh, this is Uncle Martin, explained Mum. He's visiting from Scotland. He'll be staying with us for a while. Murdin held out his hand to be shaken. Chris just stared at it. I am not touching that, bruv, he said. "'Chris, don't be rude,' Rose snapped. "'No offence, mate,' said Chris. "'It's just not that normal to wash in the toilet.' "'What is toilet?' asked Murdin. "'You know,' answered Chris, squirming with embarrassment. "'Where we do our... Uh, you know.' "'But a privy?' Murdin bellowed in horror. "'Who in the name of Van Helden hath a privy in their house?' "'Mate.' "'What world are you living in?' said Chris. "'This is the twenty-first century, not the dark ages. "'Now where are my fish and chips? "'You better have got me the low-fat ones, sis.' "'But Murdin's eyes had widened. "'A firework had just gone off in his brain. "'What sayest thou, fellow?' "'I said, you better have got the low-fat ones "'because I'm on a diet, see, and... "'No, no, no, before then!' "'Chris rolled his eyes. "'I said, it's not the dark ages, "'it's the twenty-first century!' And guess what? We have toilets in our houses now. Murdin's darting, panicking eyes landed upon a calendar pinned to the wall. He slowly approached it, his heart pounding, because, of course, up to this point the great warlock had presumed he was in purgatory. That's what he'd been sentenced to, so that's where he was. He could handle purgatory. If worse came to worse, he could be there for seven years. Fewer if he found an escape route or if Evanhart persuaded the king to grant him clemency, and then he'd return home. But now he stared at the calendar in disbelief. There it was, in black and white. He wasn't in Dark Ages purgatory any more. He was fifteen hundred years in the future, and everyone he had ever known would be dead, his dear love Evanhart included. <gasps> and so there we are. What's he going to do? He's got to get so back in time. <laughs> I was trying not to like outwardly laugh out loud along. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. That was really, really good. Um, well, Simon Farnaby, thank you so much for chatting to us for Fun Kids. And um, hopefully for your next book, we will see you in person in the Fun Kids studio. Oh, uh, that would be wonderful, Bex. Thank, thank you so much. Well, there we go. That is it for the Fun Kids Book Club podcast of 2020. Next year, we will have even more amazing authors. So make sure you rate, review and subscribe. And we'll see you then. Happy New Year. So that was a podcast from the children's radio station Fun Kids. Listen on DAB Digital Radio across the UK or online at funkidslive.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!